Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. It is such a pleasure to be joining so many of you today in your homes. Uh, let's, you know, just kind of real quick, let's pause wherever you're at. Let's just kind of give a quick round of applause here for all our teachers, for all the students that are watching right now. Y'all, you did it. You survived the first week of school. Uh, I, as a bit of a side note, I, I officially feel kind of like an old man. My first child, Logan, she officially started school this year, uh, preschool, uh, albeit also digital. Uh, we'll see kind of how long that lasts since she is a four-year-old. I don't know how they expect to keep her engaged via a computer screen, but more power to you. As, as we move into these fall rhythms, uh, I really do just want to say thank you for making Grumlaw part of your week. I, I guarantee your week has already been pretty chaotic, has already been pretty busy, and we certainly don't take it for granted that you are watching right now. Uh, if it's your first time with us today, thank, thanks for giving us a chance. I also want to challenge you to come back at least three or four times. We, we think it takes at least a couple of times for you to really get an accurate feel of what we're all about here. And and I'm confident that if you do come back at least a couple of times, this will actually be something that you look forward to each and every week. Today, we are actually wrapping up a series that we have been entitled Campfire Stories, where, where we've been looking at some, certainly not all, but some of the stories that Jesus told during his time on earth. Jesus, as in God in the flesh, was actually an incredible storyteller. Uh, but part of the reason he, he was such a good storyteller is that he was so strategic about his storytelling. He, he, he would use these stories to get people to see topics in a new light. It, it was sort of this clever way of tricking people into thinking about something that they previously thought that they had completely figured out. So something that they previously thought that they had all of the answers to. Uh, for example, the, this past week, uh, we had a guest speaker, Scott Crownover, incredible communicator. He's the lead pastor uh, down at the Green Room in Ann, in Ann Arbor, and he did a brilliant job breaking down for us what is traditionally referred to as the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. Even if you're new to this whole church thing, you've probably heard that term before, the Good Samaritan, which was actually a story that was told to a religious leader in response to this question of, well, who is my neighbor? See, every good Jewish person knew that you were supposed to love God and love your neighbor. Like those are like the top two commands, love God, love your neighbor. But, but that definition of neighbor, it was, it was left pretty open-ended in the Jewish scriptures. And, and the religious leaders thought that there were only certain people that you had to love that were really your neighbor, and then that others, you, you didn't really have to love those people because they weren't really your neighbors. So, so Jesus, rather than information dumping on them, he, he instead told a story. He told this religious leader a story of a despised, a loathed Samaritan. And we can't even get our heads around just, just how much the Jewish people despise the Samaritan people. And in this, this story, the Samaritan showed mercy to a stranger. And in turn, it flipped upside down the definition of what the neighbor was in that religious man's head. And in turn, it flipped upside the definition of my neighbor and your neighbor. See, these stories, they're traditionally referred to, as we've been talking about in this series, as, as parables. A parable is actually a simple, made-up story told to make a clear, honest point. And, and what's kind of wild about these parables, about these stories, is that, that they're every bit as relevant today as they were thousands of years ago when they were first exiting Jesus' lips. And so for that reason, I would really, really encourage you, if you have missed any part of this series, again, today we're walking into part five of five, I'd really head, encourage you to head over to grumlaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there. 
Uh, you can listen to the messages there. You can actually watch the messages there. Or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcast. Uh, but before we jump in today's story, again, from Jesus, uh, a quick question that I would like to kind of pose to all of you. H- have you ever thrown a party only to have most of the people you invited make terrible excuses as to why they can't come. And typically, those excuses, as we have all experienced, they they usually come at the last minute. Maybe it was an event. Maybe it was a fundraiser. Uh, Maybe it's just kind of some little fun get-together with with a bunch of other couples, and then everybody just kind of backs out the last minute. This term, the worst, like this is the worst, that car is the worst, this person is the worst, that, that gets thrown around like, kind of a lot these days, but, but this situation right here, this might actually be the worst. I, I was having lunch with a friend who's getting married in about a month this, uh, this last week, and we were just kind of talking about the wedding, and I don't really know how we got in particular down this like little rabbit trail, but he started talking about his family and them being there, and he, he just kind of casually mentioned that his sister wasn't going to be able to, to make the wedding. And I was like, your sister? Like, aren't you close with your sister? He's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're really close. And I'm like, and she's not coming to your wedding? And he's like, no, no, she just, she just can't make it. And, and me, just like, I had to know why. I, I kept prying a little bit more. I'm like, why isn't your sister going to come to the wedding? And he's like, well, kind of puts his head down. She got a new dog. And I probably should have just let it sit there. And I was like, I'm not trying to like stir up trouble in your family, but you're telling me that your sister isn't coming to your wedding because she got a dog? Your, your sister is placing the value of a canine over that of her own blood, a, a human being? Like, are, are you serious? Now, now even though this kind of universally annoys people, it, isn't it true? I mean, come on, take, take an examination of yourself. Isn't it true that we have all done this to other people? that we have actually been the ones that have made those really lame, terrible excuses, that, that we have been the ones that have shrugged our shoulders and said, well, you know, I just, just can't make it. I mean, come on, we, we, we are all very, very capable of this. I'm not trying to start any particular trouble with anyone here this morning, but, but this is my feeling every single time that I have been invited to a gender reveal party. I mean, a gender reveal party, seriously. Why do I give a rip if you are having a boy or a girl? I mean, I, I'm, don't get me wrong, I, I am pumped that you're having a kid, but you're telling me that I have to take time out of, of my only day off in a given week to come watch you whack a golf ball or pull a party popper or whatever other weird idea millennials are dreaming up these days to see if pink or blue comes out? And don't forget, it's a party, so you got to bring a gift. It's like, what? I am thinking through every possible excuse as to why I can avoid your gender, gender reveal party. Now, by the way, if you're a woman out there right now and you think that I am a monster for admitting this, go ahead and just like look over to your man right now and ask him the same question. I guarantee he dreads showing up to gender reveal parties as well. I guarantee I am not alone on this one. So, kind of with all of this as the backdrop, I am excited to dive today into the story of the great banquet. For the sake of our conversation today, we're going to be looking at this story as recorded for us by Luke. Uh, I don't want to assume that every single one of you know who Luke is. Luke is one of the four guys um, who, who records for us the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the first four books of the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the Bible, again, those books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus, all from like four different perspectives. Now, one of the things that I really, really like about Luke is that Luke did not believe things for the sake of belief. 
He needed proof. He needed evidence. In fact, Luke was actually a doctor, and he was hearing all these wild rumors about this guy who went by the name of Jesus, and it all just seemed, well, too good to be true. And so he actually dedicated the latter part of his life to thoroughly investigating the events surrounding the life of Jesus, and I think, fortunate for all of us, he records those things for us in this document titled Luke. Now, before we jump into this here, and before we dive into the story of the great banquet, it's important for us to understand that Jesus actually started telling this story in response to a person's excitement regarding the kingdom of God, regarding heaven. So it says this, Jesus, he replied with this story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and he sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. It was customary back at this point in history, and not terribly unusual when we compare it to present day, to send out two invitations to a party. Think of the first one as basically like a save the date, that the first was there to announce the event and get a general pulse of of who would be able to accept and who would decline. Now, apparently, we can kind of go and look at this story. Uh, Apparently, most of the people, they accepted when that first round of invitations, when the save the date was sent out, people were like, yeah, that, that, that date should work for us. We will be there. Very few people declined. And so the host made this preparation for a huge party, for a great feast. Now, as it got closer to the actual date of the event, he, he sent out those second round of invitations, which really would kind of serve as a reminder. Think of it as that Evite reminder that you get the day before the party that you RSVP'd to like three months ago. And then you have that inevitable like, oh, crud moment because you completely forgot and you made other plans and now you're scrambling trying to figure out which thing that you can cancel. Uh, Apparently people like 2000 years ago were just as terrible at keeping a schedule as they are today. Now here's where the story starts to get a little bit interesting. It says, but they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I I just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. I mean, who doesn't want to try out their new oxen? So please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. You know, old ball and chain, can't be there. Woo, woo. Y'all hear that? Hop on board the excuse train. I I can't can't make it to your wedding. I just got a dog. Sorry, guys. We're we're not going to be able to make it. I think I'm coming down with a little bit of a cold. You, you know, after giving it more thought tonight, you know, it's just it's not, not going to work. We, we couldn't find a sitter. Now, granted, we didn't call a single sitter to even try to make it work, but God did not deliver a sitter to us like manna from heaven. Uh, we, we'd love to be out there, but our car, it's, it's making this funny noise. It's like, like you know, people love making noises to mechanics, making this noise, and we, we don't want to... We don't want to risk it. So we are not going to be able to make it. So, so sorry, we're going to have to back out. As a side note here, isn't it funny that we actually expect people to believe this stuff? That it, it, We know if, if the roles were reversed and somebody were feeding us these excuses that we would be eye-rolling so hard on the other end of that phone, on the other end of that text. So like the excuses that we often throw out there, they're, they're just that. They are excuses. I mean, if we really wanted to come, if we really wanted to make it, we, we, we couldn't make it happen. But, but the reality is, we just don't want to. We, we feel that we have something better, better to do with our time. It says, the servant returned and he told his master what they had said. He delivered these lame excuses on a silver platter. And come on, 
How do you suppose that the host responded? That he was happy, indifferent, angry? I mean, come on. How would you respond (laughs) if you were in his shoes? Right? You'd be ticked. You'd be angry. Because just like those people that RSVP yes to your wedding, but then they back out at the last minute, you're still paying for their spot. You're still paying for the meal. The, the, the party, the wedding has already been planned. It's not like the country club is going to take it off your bill because your buddy is suddenly having sudden onset arm stiffness. Yeah, you're still on the hook for that one. The servant returned and he told his master what they had said. He said the lame excuses and his master was furious as we all would be. And he said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported that there's still actually room for more. So his servant said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. He's like, go get anybody. He's like, fine. All my supposed friends want to make excuses. I don't care. I'm not about to let all this food go to waste. I'm not about to let this ruin a good party. Go round up anybody with a pulse and get them her. We are filling up this house one way or another. By the way, you, you know, once that party started, he was going around snapping so many pictures, throwing them up on his story. He, he's like, I'm about to show all these people how good this party is. I mean, FOMO, fear of missing out is about to kick in which we all know is actually a real thing. This past winter, um, there was a Hall of Fame induction ceremony for the college soccer team that I was a part of. And and literally every person, like miraculously from the team, was able to make it except me. I had already committed to a wedding, uh, marrying a couple on that day. And so I wasn't able uh, to, to go. And the entire weekend, all it was was FOMO. I had people texting me and I'm looking at pictures on Instagram. They're FaceTiming me going, where are you? Why aren't you here? And I'm just like melting, like, oh my gosh. Like I wanted to be there so bad. I was like a five-year-old missing out on a birthday party. Like wanted to be there. FOMO is real. So, so, so the host gathers all these other people, all these people that weren't throwing out all of these lame excuses, all these terrible reasons why they couldn't make it. And, and then Jesus, like the story just kind of comes to a, Quick end. He wraps it up by saying this. For none of those, none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. It's, it's, it's God's way of saying I'm moving on. I am not going to sit here and, and continue to try and convince you. I, I mean, didn't I already do that when I sent my son to die for you? Hasn't God already demonstrated his great love for you? That that desire to have a relationship with you when he sent his son and Jesus took the weight of of the sin of the world, of your sin on his shoulders, endured the wrath of God for your benefit so, so that you might have the chance to again be declared right in God's eyes? Hasn't the convincing already happened? See, we read this story and we look at these guests, these people that made the terrible excuses, and we think, what fools? What's wrong with these people? But, but allow me to maybe flip this question around a little bit. Are, are you making a similar mistake? Is it possible that you're treating God the exact same way? <laughs> I mean, think about this. God your creator, has invited you to spend time in his presence, to spend time in in his word, 
to, to spend time in fellowship and have a real relationship with him. I mean, think about that. The creator of the heavens and the earth wants to spend time with you. He longs to have a relationship with you. Have you exchanged the good things that God has planned for you at his banquet table for something that seems better or more important at the moment? Y'all, it's, it's almost impossible to comprehend that the God of the universe made the standard so simple. Maybe this is the first time that this has really been communicated to you, but God's like, it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on the family you've been born into. It's not based on what your past looks like. It comes down to faith, belief, trust. Do you believe that God sent his one and his only son down to earth for you? And that he then took the weight of the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, on his shoulders, died a death that he doesn't deserve to die, paid that ultimate price on the cross, took, took the wrath of God on his shoulders that was owed to all of us, but then three days later, he didn't stay dead. He conquered death, rose from the grave so that you might have an opportunity to get that right standing back. It's literally as simple as you right now, wherever you're at, just, just acknowledging that, saying, God, I believe. I believe that you sent your son for me. From this day forward, I, I, I'm gonna live for him. And we're told that just like that, we get that right standing back. Others of you, you've already said the prayer. You, you would currently identify as, as a Christian. See, the problem with the people in this story is that they had accepted the invitation, but yet now that they were standing up the host. They, they left the host hanging. Are, are, are you? I mean, you don't have to admit this to anybody else, but is it possible that you are leaving God hanging? See, the responses that were given to the host, they were indicative of a preoccupation with material possessions. That sounds pretty familiar, right? We haven't been too shy about talking about this at Grumlaw, but I genuinely feel that, that first world people are the hardest people to reach for Christ. And it's because every single one of us, all of you watching right now, we have so much. There, there is so much to distract us. The distractions that are pulling us away from Jesus. Distractions beckoning for our attention and competing with Jesus. Competing with our Savior. And so the host went out and he searched for the poor, those who had less, and he invited them in. In a very similar way, and I've talked about this before, you go to a third world country people that don't have much, people that aren't distracted by all the material possessions, that, that aren't distracted by wealth, and you tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what I just talked about just now on this stage, and they're looking at you like, where in the heck do I sign up for this? It, it, it is almost unfathomable in their minds that anyone would reject Jesus. See, it's only in, in places like America that we have the arrogance, the audacity to look at Jesus, what he has done for us, the great lengths that he has gone to in order to win us back and think, I don't know, maybe. I, let me think about it. Business, relationships, even some material possessions, yes, these, these are necessary things in our lives. 
I'm not advocating that every single person watching right now sells everything they own and they move to a third world country and they become a full-time missionary. But these things are unhealthy if they are robbing us of greater intimacy and celebration with Jesus. Let me ask you that question. What, what in your life most frequently robs you of intimacy with Jesus? What's that thing in your life that has the greatest propensity to distract you and pull you away from that intimacy with Jesus? We're literally going to put a minute timer on the screen right now, and I want you to think about that question. And then when whatever it is gets dropped into your head, and chances are most of you already know, I want you to spend some time just confessing that to God. So let's do that now. As you process through that, uh, especially, and I get this, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, you're perhaps thinking to yourself right now, well, is it worth it? I'm not, I'm not really sure I, I want to give up anything for Jesus. This is so important to remember. God never asks you to give up something good unless he plans to replace it with something better. God never asks you to give up something good unless he plans to replace it with something better. It's not like, and think of the imagery of this story, it's not like Jesus is inviting us to a labor camp. <laughs> He's inviting you to a party, a banquet, a feast, an eternal party, which, mind you, starts now. He's looking at us going, don't you realize that I have something so much better for you? So much better, not, not just good, but better. Don't be so nearsighted. All throughout high school and even into college, uh, I drove some pretty beater cars. Uh, I had a 1987 Pontiac, Pontiac Grand Am at one point that I will still stand by, and I'm not saying this to, to exaggerate. It is literally the worst running vehicle that I have ever seen in my life. Uh, I drove an old Civic at one point, rusted out, white, beat up. Uh, my first vehicle was actually a Mercury Tracer station wagon. I drove a purple uh, Ford Taurus, like that old like bubble-type style. I mean, a lot of really terrible cars. And so once I graduated from college, I was like, okay, I want to get a car that I'm not embarrassed of, that like when I see people, I'm not tempted to put my head down. Like I'm, I'm going to go get something a little nicer. And I've actually told this story before. I went to the lot anticipating that I was going to buy a little bit newer Honda Civic, but then all of a sudden an Audi A4 Quattro distracted me. And I was like, that's the car I got to have. I would be proud to own that vehicle. And so wouldn't you know it, I made the rather foolish decision to purchase that thing rather than a Civic. I bought the Audi A4 Quattro and 
you know, away I went into the night thinking, man, I finally have a nice vehicle. Well, let's just say hypothetically, shortly after I purchased this, this Quattro, uh, somebody that was really kind, a friend of mine comes along that had a lot more money than I did, and they say, hey, you know, I know, Shay, that your, your dream vehicle is actually a Toyota Tacoma. I mean, if I could have any car on the planet, that, that's the car I would pick. I'd, pick. I'd pick a Toyota Tacoma extended cab. Like, that's what I'd like to have. And this person comes along, being the, the kind, generous person that they are, and they say, Shay, I know you just got this Audi, but I want to do something nice for you. I, I bought you a brand new Toyota Tacoma, and we're just going to make an even swap for it. We'll just trade keys and exchange titles. The Tacoma's yours, and the Quattro's mine. But I actually hesitate, and I say, no. I don't think I want to do that because I don't know if you understand, but this, this Quattro, it has, has heated leather seats. And he looks at me and he goes, the Tacoma actually has heated leather seats and a heated steering wheel, actually. And I'm like, okay, but, but the Quattro, I don't know if you saw that, it has a sunroof. And he's like, the Tacoma has a, has a sunroof. And I'm like, okay, okay. I don't know if you noticed this, but on the back of it, it says, ready for this? Quattro. Pretty nice, right? It means it's a four-wheel drive, a car that's four-wheel drive. And he's like, yeah. The Tacoma has four-wheel drive. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but I, I paid for the car myself, and, you know, I'm, I'm not really in, interested in a handout. So, no, you just, you just keep the Tacoma. But my, my family and my friends, they get wind of it, and they, they are pleading with me. They're like, Shay, take the deal. The, the, you're never going to get another opportunity like this in your life. Like, th this is a way nicer car. It's a lot more expensive. It's exactly what you've always wanted. Like, take the deal. But yet I keep saying no. I keep saying no for what everyone else around me sees as some of the most foolish reasons, some of the most ridiculous excuses that they've ever heard in their lives. But I'm, ex I'm emotional. The excuses, they, they make all the sense in the world in my head. Y'all, this is precisely what so many of us are doing with Jesus. We, we keep holding on to good and better is at our front door waiting for us. We're holding on to these earthly riches and rejecting, rejecting the eternal. We stay focused on about 100 years on this earth and we, and we disregard the millions upon billions of years that are going to come after this. Again, Jesus' words, he says, for none of those, none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. It's human nature to assume that we'll get there eventually. That someday it's just, it's going to click. That, that, that someday I'll, I'll start living that sold out life for Jesus. Some of you, you've been at this church thing for your entire lives and you keep telling yourself that someday is going to come, but wouldn't you know it, it still hasn't gotten here. And Jesus would in fact remind us over and over and over again during his time on earth, that eventually, that eventually, that someday, typically does not come for most people. Don't assume that next week is going to be the week that it all clicks for you. That next week's sermon, I think that'll be the day. That you'll get there once you get out of high school. That once you graduate from college. That once you get married. That once you have kids. That, 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 that once things get back to normal, you'll finally start making this whole Jesus thing a real priority in your life. Maybe someday ought to be today. Because at a certain point, you're going to need to figure out that you're going to need to start taking steps in faith. That there needs to be some action there. 
and in turn, watch how your thoughts, watch how your head follows suit. One of the things that I absolutely love about this story is that God wants the house to be full. He doesn't take the sick pleasure that people are rejecting him. He wants the banquet busting at the seams. He doesn't want there to be any empty seats at the table. He hates that so many people reject him with such lame, nearsighted, earthly excuses. And what I think is even crazier, he actually, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, he invites you to actually play a part in all of this. He longs that you would play a part in filling the house and filling the table. So how do we live this out? As I wrap up here in the last couple minutes uh, that I have, as, as we get into this fall rhythm, there are three habits that, that I'm going to be specifically asking of all of you. I want to challenge every single one of you watching right now to, to make these three habits just a part of who you are. Uh, those three habits I wrote down are grumble at home, invite, and daily encounter. Uh, grumble at home. Let's, let's address that one first. Uh, maybe you just kind of zone out for the entire service and you have somehow missed what grumble at home is. We've been talking about it for the better part of about six weeks now, but I will explain it one more time. Uh, grumble at home allows us to get that community that we all desperately need right now. I, I don't care how introverted you might be, every single one of us as human beings, we are wired for community. We, we, we are people that need other people around us. Grumble at home in a socially responsible way uh, allows you to sign up every single week for, for the same house, for a different house, all throughout Genesee County, not digitally, but face-to-face -face contact with 10 or less adults. So again, socially responsible. And, and you get together basically about 30, 45 minutes before the service begins. Then when the service starts, just like you are doing right now, you watch the service together, you sing together, you listen to the sermon together. If there are kids that are present in the home, you bring them together and you sing and you dance with them. They watch their lesson together and they usually hang out for, I don't know, another 30, 45 minutes and then you kind of get back to your Sunday. But y'all, we need that community. Part of the reason that so many of you love these experiences and you keep asking me this question of when are we gonna be back in person? When, when, when do you think we're gonna be able to get back in our building is because you are longing for that community. Grumlaw at Home provides that. In, in fact, I, I get that question a lot as the pastor of this church, as you can imagine. Shay, when are we gonna open back up? And I'm not trying to irritate you, but my response now to that question is, okay, we have been open now for, for about six weeks. Since early August, we have been doing Grumlaw at home. Grumlaw is open. It might not be what we, we, we've always done, but this is what we're running with right now. Sign up for Grumlaw at home. Literally, I want you to take out your phone right now and sign up for it for September 20th. Every single Sunday when these, Sundays, uh, when these services air, you have the opportunity to sign up for the following week. Again, it limits the number of people in each home, so make sure you're signing up for it on Sunday to get the house you want. We're gonna have homes in Holly, in Swartz Creek, in Linden, in Fenton, in Grand Blank. I promise that there is a home that will be near you. Sign up for Grumlaw at Home. So number one, make Grumlaw at Home a priority. Fight for this to be a part of your week. Dads, you husbands that are watching right now in particular, lead your family spiritually in this way. I get it. It's easier, it's more convenient to sit at your couch at home and just kind of do this whole thing where it's just you and your family, but we need this community. Your kids need that community. We all have loads of excuses, just like the people that we saw in this story. And if I can be so vulnerable, I have heard some doozies 
over the last month in regards to Grumble at Home, but fight for what is most important, fight for what is better. So Grumble at Home, tons of new homes. I promise there's something there for you. Number two, invite. Y'all, you're probably maybe getting sick of me saying this, but it, it has never been easier to invite people to check out church than it is right now. A question that we throw out a lot around here is this question of who's your one, that every single person that calls this place their church home, they would have that one person that they're praying for every single day, and they're going to keep praying for them every day until that person comes to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. When's the last time you invited your one to church online? Early on in this pandemic, we were challenging all of you, and I want to respark this thing up. Text at least three people every single week. The number one reason that people don't come to church, that they don't check out church, is because they were never invited. You have no idea what a simple text literally might do for somebody's eternity. The weather's getting colder. People, frankly, because of COVID, have less to do. That there's new stresses and people are genuinely looking for answers like never before. In wild opinion, I think we ought to point them towards Jesus. So invite and invite weekly. One of the triggers that I actually use for myself is whenever I hear somebody complaining or saying something negative, like, oh man, my marriage, it's, it's been hard during COVID. Man, my kids are driving me nuts. Man, this whole digital school thing has been tough. I use it as a trigger to invite somebody to church. Like, man, my, my church actually, believe it or not, kind of helps with all that. You, you should check it out this Sunday, 9.30 or 11 o'clock, grumlaw.com slash live. I shoot people those texts. Invite, invite, invite. And then lastly, uh, and most importantly, daily encounter. Uh, I will continue to talk about this until, as long as there's breath in my lungs. The single most important habit that any of you watching right now could develop is this right here. Developing that daily time with Jesus. Because everything else seems to fall into place when we get this one habit right. See, when we have intimacy with God, we are a whole lot more likely, when we have a relationship with God, we are much more likely to respond with a yes rather than coming up with an excuse. Every single one of us, we all inherently give more value to those voices in our lives with those whom we are closest to. For example, I take advice and counsel from my wife much more seriously than I do the guy who rolls my burrito at Chipotle. I'm not saying the Chipotle dude doesn't have good advice, but we don't have a relationship. So if this has never really been a part of your life, will you take the next 30 days? Today is September the 13th. Will you until October 13th, every single morning, the first thing that you do, set that alarm 10, 15 minutes earlier, every single morning, you read one chapter of scripture. Start in either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Those first four books of the uh, New Testament, those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. Read just one chapter a day. And then after that, spend five minutes talking to Jesus. Five minutes in prayer. All it is is sharing honest feelings with them. And don't just read for the sake of reading, but literally before, and it might sound weird to some of you, just say, God, will you say to me whatever you want to say to me this morning? Speak to me through your word this morning. And I'm telling you, that 10 to 15 minutes that you spend each morning, it'll be a game changer. It'll affect the rest of your day. And I can almost guarantee you that at the end of those 30 days, if you make that a habit, if you develop that, that will not be something that you walk away from. You will realize the value of developing that daily encounter. The God of the universe, your creator, wants to spend time with you and have a relationship with you. It's amazing. Let's not take that for granted. So Grumble at Home, start signing up for Grumble at Home every single week. Listen, we, we know that if, if you're health compromised, we, we understand if you can't do this, but, 
But if you're out and about throughout the rest of the week, will you fight for this time, this Grumlaw at Home? Sign up for Grumlaw at Home every single week. Literally right now, you can go to grumlaw.com slash at home and sign up for the following week. And again, every single Sunday morning, those, those slots all open up for the following week. So make Grumlaw at Home every single week a priority. Number two, invite. You, you use the complaining and the negative speech as a trigger to invite people to church and text at least three people every day. And especially if you've been praying daily for your one, text them. And then lastly, daily encounter. Take that 30-day challenge until October the 13th. You read at least one chapter of scripture every single morning. You spend at least five minutes just talking to Jesus, sharing honest feelings with him. Y'all, like the people at the banquet, let's stop making excuses. And instead, let's fight for what's most important. And remember, we're not just fighting for something that's, that's good. J Jesus is inviting all of us into something that is so much better.